Welcome to this week's episode of Fighting Words. Donovan here. And uh, well, I say this week's, but I'm not actually putting these out weekly, so sorry. Welcome to this episode. I am joined today by my brother and friend, Vern Coates. Hello. Hi, Vern. How you doing? Great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So excited. This is going to be a fun one. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be great. I was on your old podcast, um, Redeemer Radio, years ago, and if I recall correctly, I might have. I think that was the most listened to episode that you did. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> what did we talk about? Uh, I don't even remember. Do you know I got basically a letter threatening to sue me? I had to change the name of the podcast. I forgot about that. Yeah, there was some Catholic ministry in I don't know Illinois or something that I was like. Dude, who cares? I don't have any influence. Like, let me use the name. I got like twelve listeners. <laughs> well, it makes but. me wonder what their influence was. Did I? Did they have a huge following or something? I don't know. Because if there's nothing at stake, who cares? I don't know. So yeah, it's been a long time since I had you back. So um, apparently, I didn't enjoy it that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. So what we are going to talk about for the next several weeks we'll see how long it, it takes man i did i was digging articles up and there's just so much out there it's kind of hard to know where to begin almost but we're going to talk about crt critical race theory and i'm certainly no expert uh but i'm not here to be an expert i'm here to tell you what i think and then you can uh go do your own research and see what you think right right on so now i've i thought of you for a couple reasons one obvious reason if you would like to state it yeah. In terms of who to have as a guest. Yeah. You probably want someone of color, a person of color. That's me. Um, my dad's black. My mom's white. So I'm half black. And now, that's funny because when I went, we'll get to this, but I actually, you know, you say I probably want someone of color. Like, why would that be? Yeah. Well, race is in the title. So so can I? Well, I have a race. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if, if how, how many white people think of themselves racially. I mean, certainly mini- minorities do because it's, you know, that that's the context in which a lot of minorities live. It's, you know, they're, they're our minority because of their color. They think of their race. Uh, in fact, you know, their ethnicity is you know, a big part of their identity. As white people, that just hasn't. Been, I don't think it's been the same thing. Maybe. Well, it's certainly not as uh, on your conscious. Although it's bringing being brought to consciousness yes, now. Absolutely. Now it's interesting. I said I have a race, and you said I don't know if white people think of themselves racially. So, do you think of me as a white person? Uh, not usually. I typically, when I think of you, I think of you as Mexican. Mm. So. So what does that entail? Like, what do you what are you picturing? Um, when you think of me, yeah, <laughs> we're off to a great start. Come on, it's mostly <laughs> I think of myself. I like, oh, I have a Mexican friend. That's okay, validates yeah. my existence. Yeah. Well, so well, a couple things. So one, I I I am. I think my experience is mostly white. Right. I, so I am Mexican. Me- Mexican is not a race. Mexican is a nationality. It's like saying you're yeah, American, sure. right? So right. most Mexicans are a mix of European, right? Mostly Spanish. 
and then some kind of indigenous blood and you end up with what's called a mestizo which is what you typically picture when you picture a mexican that's someone who's not fully native and not fully european but you know brown in the middle uh, my family happens to be pretty much white i mean my grandfather came from spain my grand my grandmother um i don't know I don't think she came directly from Spain. Like he met her in Mexico, but she looks white. She's white. My my all my family is pretty white skinned So I'd say we're Europeans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's some experiences that I've had in my. No, I don't think I know experiences in my life that have shaped. I've been pretty race conscious mm-hmm. um, because I, well, one being Mexican, being an immigrant, we did speak Spanish in the home. That was our home language. So that was different that was outside of the ordinary a lot of my parents friends most of their friends when we were young were from the hispanic communities we were always around puerto ricans and cubans and mexicans latinos and stuff like that um and then i had uh you know part of my experience is being bullied as a kid and some of you have heard of some of that the the mexican thing was always thrown out even though i think it was mostly just because i was weird I was bullied because I was weird. Mm-hmm. Kind of deserved it. <laughs> no, nobody deserves bullying. That's right. But the Mexican thing was always thrown out. Oh, you're, you know, they would call me taco and burrito and oh, things yeah. like that. Yep. And then, um, yeah, growing up, even through middle school and high school, I just, most of my friends were not white. So it's always been pretty race conscious. And then my family, I have an adopted brother who's black Cuban and my dad married a black woman. And I have six step brothers and sisters there that are black and a half black brother and so in one sense yeah like i do feel like i walk around my most lived experiences like a white man right you know when i walk around that's how people see me yeah maybe a terrorist type guy i don't know my wife says i look kind of middle eastern but but i'm pretty race conscious i think for what appears to be a just a white dude walking around oh i'm sure because you're because of the experience there absolutely yeah so i feel similar to like to that i mean people have known there's been people who have known me for years didn't know that i was half black and um you know most of my experience has been probably your typical um middle america white experience you know my parents were divorced when i was pretty young i lived with my mom and siblings um and you know our neighborhoods were predominantly white schools i went to were predominantly white my friends you know were were all pretty much all white for the most part and yet i still had this um black experience because my dad was black and and my you know that whole side of my family's black we did family reunions Uh, most of that family's down in the fort madison area um you know my dad did some of the typical black dad things you know like when we'd be in the grocery store you know he'd see another black guy coming by and he'd nod the head you know yeah, like yeah. acknowledging you know that he was there so you know i picked up on that <laughs> do you do that do you ever get confused looks back uh, yeah like I, I do it all the time <laughs> it's like i'm appropriating i guess but or half appropriating but um yeah things like that you know when i was a kid i got um, I definitely wanted to be white. Like I felt like my uh, enough of my difference in being half black was pretty noticeable. So my my afro, I had a big afro when I was a kid. A lot of people, you know, that I'm basically have no hair now. But when I was younger, it was just like big afro that you couldn't hide. I want to see pics. Yeah, I almost brought some, but since this was not a video, <laughs> we'll describe it. Yeah. So one of my nicknames was, was Brillo Head. Oh gosh. <laughs> That's just terrible. (laughs) Did you enjoy that? Or did you find it offensive? You know, I don't remember it bothering me that much. The only reason it bothered me because I already knew that I was different. 
So it was just a, another reminder. But I, I wouldn't say there's deep scars from that. You know, I got called Oreo and and things like that. But at the end of the day, I don't remember ever feeling like, man, I'm, you know. Oreos are great. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> it's like, come right. up with something else. Yeah. Well, if you've ever done dishes, we'll come so up with Brillos. <laughs> <laughs> Straight useful. Right. They called you delicious and useful. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you walk around with so much confidence now. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Little did they know. Called you Brillo bad. <laughs> wow. You mentioned the other day that you wished your hair was straight when you were yeah yes so that was you know all my friends had you know typical white kid hair they would feather it back was the thing in the Mm. late 80s and that's the thing man if i could have had one wish probably back then that was a thing i wish i could do my hair like that i I wore a hat everywhere and uh, there's video of me in church at my grandma's church uh, black church you don't wear a hat unless Mm. you're a lady and I would wear, would not take my hat off. I just even around the black folks. Yeah, just you know I, that was my thing. I just always, huh. you know, I just had an identity crisis in a sense um, for being different. So in in one sense, I would you know I say there, those aren't deep scars that lasted, but definitely at the time I could feel sure, you know, the weight of that yeah. being different. When did you feel like you shed that? Um. I would say probably college. I think when I got out of high school. So, I, um, I mean, there were always time. I think, yeah, I think it was probably late high school. I stopped, I stopped thinking about it. It didn't matter to me as much. And, and maybe that was just growing up and um, seeing the world differently. And, and maybe part of it was maturing somewhat my faith later on, you know, in, in college. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think... I didn't have, you know, there weren't people walking around calling me the N-word and things that were like real devastating kind of things. So getting over some of the other stuff, the hair the hair thing, um, you know, that, that just kind of faded in the background. I had more important things I cared about, stuff like that. So, um, and now it's gone, so I wish I could have it back. <laughs> <laughs> what if you did grow it back and it was all straight and you could feather That's it? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rock that look? Yeah, I wouldn't even recognize myself. It's not a good look anymore. No, it's not. <laughs> hey, can we? Can we? Uh, I want to play something for you. Something fun. Yep. Right. So this is from another podcast. So this is a. Uh, this is a uh, a guy named Matt Walsh. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm glad I caught that. Um, I'm not uh, recommending him. I'm just saying that sometimes I'd listen to him. But, man, I heard this clip on there yesterday. He's reading from uh, an introduction to a, a paper. I don't, I don't remember the whole context. It doesn't matter. Just listen to this. See if this works. And this is all totally real, by the way. I assure you. As a white first-generation college graduate who attended a mid-sized private university... My identities and experiences inspired this study. My whiteness offers a level of inherent violence to this study because of the history of privilege and structural and overt acts of harm my ancestors have contributed to society. This echoes my experience in identifying as an anti-racist racist who, as a white person, spelled with an X instead of an O, a, a person, who, as a white person, is inherently racist, but applies and is accountable to anti-racism in my life through activist, educator, and researcher capacities. White supremacy is frequently misunderstood as only pertaining to overt or explicit acts of violence like neo-Nazis or the Ku Klux Klan. 
However, white supremacy in the context of this study centers the relationship between historical and unconscious bias that benefits whiteness through its structures, policies, culture, and experiences over non-white individuals. Therefore, it is irresponsible for me to, be, to begin this study without acknowledging the privileges that I am afforded in conducting this study as a white individual, but also the contribution that I make to violence. Like white supremacy in the, in the academy, violence in the university shows up in different ways uh, than what may be explicitly produced. Violence in the context of this study includes interpersonal violence, like slurs and ignorance, politics that disproportionately have a negative impact on marginalized identities or bodies, the hierarchical misuse of administrative power that make change seem impossible, and the lack of understanding and support given to the marginalized university community. We'll stop there. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I play that? Um... Well, mostly because it sounds absurd. But as I was re-listening to it, I was like, I wonder to what extent like people can actually track with that. Mm. That's like a whole nother language. Yes. You know? Yeah. Now, I've been listening to a lot of this stuff, so I'm like, okay, I'm tracking with what's going on here. But yeah. I wonder, like, so we're doing this series on CRT, critical race theory, and we're going we're gonna, to, here in a minute, define that and uh, hopefully get our bearings here. But... I wonder, you know, our audience, our church, I'm sure there's just going to be a, a spectrum of people who are more or less informed on this, you know? Yeah. They don't even know what it is. Right. Or have they heard a lot of that jargon? Can they make sense of it? Right. It was a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. So anyway, I just want to play that for fun. Make, yeah. Make what you will of that. Yeah. Well, I was listening to um, someone recently who was a black guy who was just trying to decipher a lot of what's happening. And he was talking to his wife about actually preparing for a podcast. And, and she, he was explaining a couple of things. She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like th- those words that you're using, mm. those those are everyday words. Like those don't apply to my life. And, you know, so her, her question really was how many, how much of this is academic and puffing people up versus you know how much of it's real you know really where people are at and what they're feeling and experiencing and all of that and i listen to that guy that clip and i think about my life growing up as a half black kid and the things that i experienced and none of that resonates in terms of how i felt at the time like i didn't I didn't think about structures that might have been causing people to call me brillo head or look at me different or you know i would i was called you know i was told that i wasn't black enough because i i didn't sing i didn't dance i didn't play basketball you know basketball i wasn't dark i talked like this you know all those things um but no no, all those things to me were individual you know differences pointing out my difference and i would say maybe to some degree racism in the sense of seeing my knowing knowing what stereotyping blacks a certain way seeing me like this and saying okay well this is what it means to be black sort of a la joe uh, Joe biden you're not you're not black if that kind of thing so all of those things that he was just talking about would have been way 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 over my head and and not really hit me where it wouldn't even have been helpful i don't think you know so much for me growing up yeah so this does get into um, you know, your question of like, to what extent is this just like in the academy? And this is just like, like, so he was reading from a paper that was written for a college, right? Like right. university, like, but I think what's happened, well, it's certainly critical race theory in its origination and it's, you know, you know, where it's really discussed and a 
applied and studied is is academics right but what's happened is that it's bursting out of that right so now it's coming into the world right right? and beyond academics right so like one question is it being taught in the schools that's the you know that's something that has come up in recent Mm -hmm. you know even local elections and school board meetings and things like that and um what is it how is it impacting the workplace there's tons of articles Mm -hmm. you know that i can pull up about that talk about you know what is what's how to be anti-racist right and that's a a crt term that that we'll get to and define so it's becoming more and more popularized you know i don't think uh not in its systemic form i don't think a lot of people can give you the definition of it and give you all the tenets but they can they they come up against symptoms of it i would say in their life right right um certainly hitting the news it's hitting the podcast circuits so it's out there um what's funny is you know oh this, this is going back a little bit but you said uh well, I said I wanted to have you on here for two reasons, right? And we went down mm-hmm. the the road of like because you're black, like, which actually is not true. That's not actually why I invited you because I actually reject that. And that's one of the tenets of CRT is that your um, degree of oppression grants you access to truth. Right. Right. Yeah. So you have cred because you're black. Right. And I would say, I, you, to me, I've credit if what you say is right. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't care if you're black or white. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but the real reason is because I was just like, I didn't want to do this alone. I like mm-hmm. to do it. I like to have a conversation. And so I've just been thinking like, well, who would be the appropriate person to have on here? Like, And uh, you know, I want someone who um, I think can can hang in the conversation as I've talked to you and been and I've heard some of the things that you listen to and as we've had just casual conversations about it I'm like oh okay like this can work yeah, you know sure so not saying you're an expert neither am I no. but I'm saying I think no. you've you've been listening yeah. to the conversation yeah. and having those conversations so yeah and it matters I think it matters particularly for the church to understand what's going on with this controversy and you know to the extent that sometimes as christians we can identify um with things politically i think it's it's good to just dive in deeper than maybe you would get on um you know some of the mainstream channels on this topic so hopefully we get past some of the just buzzwords and get into the implications of what all this means for us as believers yeah Okay, so let's start by defining the term. So I have a, a Britannica encyclopedia definition pulled up, but I'd love to hear you shoot from the hip. Yeah, my, my um, take on CRT is primarily it's a, it's a way of understanding the world, and it's an understanding of why, um, why things are the way they are, particularly with... Um, uh, why there's injustice, um, why there's um, what the impact of of race and slavery on um, particularly on on the black community has been in this country um, in terms of 
political, economic, social, all of those structures that we understand in terms of the things that make up our life, how um, racism uh, has played, is playing a part and has played a part in, in the way we understand the world. So it's like a meta understanding of our experience, I think in this country, particularly, particularly based on race, how race is impacted uh, and is influencing all of the structures that we see. So th- that's the big overview. Um, but I think the idea is that um, that there is systemic racism as a reality, and uh, it's not just a one-off. There's some people who are like that and some people who aren't. It's at the f- core of everything we understand about American life. And... Um, it's not going to be fixed by, you know, um, the, the, the things that they were after in the civil rights movement weren't enough. CRT is meant to go farther yeah. and fix what didn't get fixed through the civil rights movement. You know, as you're talking about it, it's almost like a, a thought of the analogy of total depravity. I've thought of that many times re- recently was preparing for this. Yeah. So total depravity being the doctrine that, um, every, part of our humanity has been marred by sin so it doesn't mean that we are as as wicked as we could always be you know run around eating babies you know all day but right um but that everything is rotten right your mind your affections your body like it's all rotten so yeah crt likewise would say that it isn't just a handful of or even just big stuff overt stuff like slavery or um you know apartheid or uh you know segregation or those kind of things that are racism um that's a good start but it's it's all the way in it's almost like you're in the matrix yes you know you're in the matrix and you start to see it everywhere so let me read so there's this is probably one of the most uh i mean there's a lot you go read about critical race theory and you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot um there's a lot out there but this is one of the key tenets um is this let me just read from here it says uh racism in the united states is normal not aberrational it is the ordinary experience of most people of color although extreme racist attitudes and beliefs are less common among whites than they were before the mid-20th century and explicitly racist laws and legal practices um like jim crow laws racial segregation um people being denied basic civil rights. Although those practices have been largely eliminated, most people of color continue to be routinely discriminated against or otherwise unfairly treated in both public and private spheres as demonstrated by numerous social indicators. Okay, and then they go on to give indicators like, for example, mass incarceration. There's more, Hmm. you know, black men particularly or people of color tend to be overrepresented in the prison systems, right? Or you get into income stuff, you, just different metrics. Right. You can look at different metrics and go, yeah, yeah, okay, so yeah, you're not making slaves anymore, and you know, black people can, you know, drink at the fountain when they want to. But what's up with all these disparities, right? Right, and the answer yep. is there's still, it's more than you see, more yep. than meets the eye. It's, yep. it's embedded. <clears throat> and then it's everywhere. That's the other thing. It isn't just a handful of other things. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get to the 
it's rotten to the core. The entire system must be overthrown. Right. Right. Uh, because it's it's everywhere. It's like um, yeast, you know. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's a basic tenet, right? Um, right. Of and we'll we'll hang there for a while and come back as well. Um, one of the other tenets is, and this is actually one of the primary tenets, is that race is socially constructed. Right. Which is I actually agree with yeah yeah right? i think biblically you'd have to agree with that right so let me just read a little more about that like race is socially constructed not biologically natural in other words the idea of like well like even what you were saying like people are saying to you you're not black enough right right so there's this idea of well, what it means to be a black person yeah. you know in terms of behaviors yeah or even how how dark you are right. like at which point are you you know if you're so your daughters are quarter black yeah quarter black so if if they marry a white guy, and they have another kid, you know, a kid who's an octoroon, <laughs> yeah, right. I can't wait to meet an octoroon. Actually, I think we we have one in Cedar Cedar Falls, a member up there. Um, we have one. <laughs> we have one. <laughs> I'll just play. So it's racist. Um, <laughs> are they black? Right. You know, and at which point is there is that that one drop rule? Yeah, the, you've heard of that. Yeah, that legal definition. Whatever the percentage was, but so all that says, I you know I agree with that, like that the the idea that well really we're all one race, and if you literally lined up, you know let's say a, a million people of slightly graded colors right mm-hmm. next to each other, like it would be really basically impossible to go well here's where we're going to draw the line, yeah, you know in sure. terms of color, right, um, and so but based on that, so I agree with that. Right, yep. it's a social construction. But what they then go, their next step is to say, is that that social construction is then therefore weaponized, right? Right to other people, make people other. Okay, yeah. so oh, you're in that group, right? right? So not just yes, yeah. It's a concept of white normalcy. So that that idea that white is normal, everything else is other, some version of other, and so when you do that, you can take almost at anything if you can well sometimes i don't even i was going to say you trace it back to some kind of you know white western origin but a lot of times the arguments they make you trace them back far enough and they're not traced back to um white origins but that's the idea is that uh, if you can make white the the myth of white normalcy acceptable then you can trace any uh institution experience back to something white and it gives a gives a reason to tear it down because it's the cause of all of these problems for for non-whites um which is is pretty dangerous and some circumstances we'll probably look at yeah yeah um i could keep going there's some other (laughs) i think those are probably the big ones um, but I think, and even the biggest one, the biggest implication is that everything's everything's racist, you know. And so it isn't just the overt, you know, nicknames and the, you know, even insults or the, you know, just actual segregating. But the whole experience is now is now tainted. And one of the key evidences is the fact that there is a disproportionate um, representation in a lot of uh, a lot of the country in terms of mm-hmm. different metrics, right? Income and families being intact now now here's what's interesting the further we get into this so you know there's a lot i think that crt is saying that's good and true 
and I think its main issue for me, the main critique of it is that it's it's narrow, it's my, it's myopic. It, it kind of has a single lens, yeah, right. That it reduces everything down to, yeah. But so I was listening to Matt Walsh, and uh, and so the, now he's a right wing conservative guy, so he's going to be big critic of critical race theory, right? But he says the other day, okay, they were talking about you know the problem in the black community, like uh, you know. Which again, man, it was just like how, the black community. Like, <laughs> you have to like stereotype so much, but just to say in general, mm-hmm. in uh, black community, there is a lot um, more um, absent absence of fathers, right? right? Yep. Now, so he was he was talking about crime in the black community, and you know, and he was saying the causes because there's guns, right? This is this is. What someone on the left was saying, you know, we got to have gun control on this and that. And he's saying, no, 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 let's get, you really want to talk about the root problem? And he says, it's the absence of fathers. Mm. And I'm like, and that's a, that's like almost like a right wing trope. You're like, sure. And I just don't, I hear what he's saying and I think it's a big problem. But you just, you have to go one more step. Like, well, why is that? Yes, right. Why is that? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's back to what you said earlier about total depravity. CRT is getting at something. There's obviously problems they're trying to identify, and they are identifying some of those things. They're just not going far enough. So they're gonna they want to pin it on race and inherent racism. It's just not. It's they're getting at a solution without really getting to the problem, and so if. If the problem is deeper than race, and and they don't won't go any deeper than that, then how can they possibly solve the the problem? So if there is a total depravity, if there is a a sinfulness that needs to be addressed, but they're not seeing the universality of it, you, just, you can't fix it. Uh, I think it was John Perkins um, has written a lot on race in One Blood. He says you have to start with God if we're gonna fix this you have to start with god and then he goes on to say um we have to hold on to our commonality particularly in the church that's mostly where he's writing from is racial racial unity in the church we have to come we have to not let go of that that we have this unity this commonality in christ um and then you know he talks about um needing to love each other um and rely on the scriptures um and crt is obviously not coming from from that i think it's actually coming from an opposite place it wants to tear down the things i think you and i would say are actually at the root of the problem so when we look at the um at the at the fall of man and what the bible says about our inherent sinful nature and our need for a savior and that christ has has come um to to save us from that they're not hearing when they when CRT hears that they hear they hear the same structures that caused this problem in the first place, which are what's the intersectionality of white, Christian, male, straight. That's like the yeah, it's the problem. That is the issue. It's actually the problem. So the the mistake we can make, I think, though, is is to not affirm. So I wouldn't say CRT is at its root. Uh, I, I wouldn't affirm it at its root, but there are things it's saying that I can affirm, like that's a, that there is a such thing as systemic injustice. Right. 
Um, like, here's one way to get at this. So for Christians, I would ask you, um, you, I think you would say we don't live in heaven, right? So we're not there. In heaven, everything will be perfect. Yeah. People and our society. Okay. So I think you can reason from that pretty easily that our society is imperfect, right? And therefore, our law and justice system has to be imperfect. It has to be. And the question is, how does that manifest, mm-hmm. right? Are you saying, I think sometimes conservatives talk themselves into a, a corner where they're like, no, there's no more, there's no systemic injustice. It's like, mm. oh, so we live in heaven? Right. You know, as a Christian, like, I don't think you yeah. can really say that. Yeah, it'd almost be hard to point out a system that doesn't have flaws, that it, that actually is working perfectly. Like, where's that at? Which system is that? Right, I so you, you get into, to, you have to get to a point where you say, I mean, there is a little bit of a, I think at the end of the day, it isn't what's the perfect system. It's like, what's the best we can do mm. this side of heaven and let's keep on reforming. Sure. Right, when when we find stuff. So we'll get into more details. Um, I want to say a little bit about the connection between uh, critical race theory and postmodernism. Um, so postmodernism, it's again, huge term, but one of the key tenets of it, it's, a, it's kind of a philosophical camp you know that includes many other sub philosophies but one of the key tenets is basically that you don't actually know truth mm-hmm. truth can't be known right so it's a response to some extent to modernism right which was you know age of reason and enlightenment where basically man because of all the advances in science and all that basically came to rely on reason like hey through scientific inquiry and reason we can know things we can know true things mm-hmm. Right, and there was some truth in that, but skeptics, postmodern types, start to poke holes in that. You know, like, well, everyone has their own vantage point from which they see things, right? So you have a grid through which you see the world. Mm-hmm. So you have biases, and you have limited knowledge and limited access to information. You start to deconstruct all of that, and you, and there's some truth in that, right? The truth is, we do have biases, and I am limited by my experience, and. But what you do is you take that to its extreme. We go, therefore, nothing can be known, mm-hmm. right? Sure. You can't know anything. Um, and then you, you end up at a place where, um, I'm sure you've heard something like this, you end up with the claim that all truth claims are just power claims. That's right. what Nietzsche talked about when he talked about the will to power. That's all that's left. Yeah. When God is dead, all that's left is the will to power. Why? Because for from a Christian worldview, we'd say, yes, man has reason, but it's tainted by sin, limited. So I'm a little kind of a mix between a modern and a postmodern perspective. But then the gospel comes in. The good news is that God tells us things. That's how right. we can know. It's, it's a Christian epistemology. Like, we can know true things. God can overcome our limitations and our heal our reason and things like that. But if there's no God... Who can do that? Who can break through the you know the the darkness and the limitations? Yeah. Then, yeah, I could see why you would end up philosophically saying you don't you don't really know anything. You're just serving your own interests. Your truth claims are a claim to power. Right. How does that connect to CRT? It connects to CRT in the sense that um, that power oppressor and oppressed 
dynamic is the grid is through which you see everything mm-hmm. right so to the extent that you know a white person says hey i don't think we should change this system at all you can easily see why well you're only saying that because right. it serves you right that's this idea of interest convergence like the system serves you that's why you don't want to change it mm-hmm. no no i actually let's take an example like i actually think uh Having a twelve jur- a, a jury of twelve peers is is a good thing. They're like, well, I bet you do, right? Because they're mostly going to look like you, right? <laughs> so that's the, that connection. That's why philosophically, at its root, there's just a lot we, I have to reject about critical race theory. Mm-hmm. It's postmodern basis. The fact that it does view the patriarchy, which I view as a good thing, mm-hmm. as part of the problem. It views uh, hetero normativity as a bad thing which i don't um uh what's the other stuff you you named uh well christianity you know claims ultimate claims to truth about god and and man and you have the singular grid and it's all just an oppressor oppressed so go ahead yeah yeah so i um thaddeus williams an author has had a good analogy on crt along the lines of what you're saying that's they, there is something here that's worth pulling some some valuable nuggets out of, and yet he says he he compares it to like a broken blacklight. So blacklight, take it on a crime scene, it's going to show you where blood splatter is. They're going to solve this crime. But a broken blacklight, like CRT, he said, it's going to show you blood splatter. So there's going to be there's real racial issues to be dealt with, and it's going to show you some of that. It's also going to show you like mustard that's just you know splattered about things that aren't actually racial issues and they're going to define them as racial because the black light's broken so when it shows that everything any splatter is a racial reality then you you know some of that's great because it's doing the thing it's supposed to and some of it's just not helpful and i think that's where crt feels like um because it paints with such a broad brush, um, it's just going to miss. It's just, I don't think you can build your worldview on it. Um, yeah, it comes back to it being that single lens. It's just, it becomes oppressive. Um, I was watching the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just had a thought about, you know, I'm just watching... You know, you have jury, you have a jury in there, you have a prosecutor, you have, uh, you know, the defense attorney, and then you have the judge, all right? And so you've got all these processes, you've got these players, and you've got these processes. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm just thinking, okay, is this is this a bad system, hmm. right? And, you know, what could you change about the system? But one of the things that really stood out to me is that is the human element in there right so for example the judge he was accused of being a racist and maybe he is i don't know i'm not here to defend him (laughs) but what i did see is that he does certainly have the opportunity to influence the outcome for sure right so hey i'm not going to allow that evidence right i'm going to ask the jury to leave right now and say this and Mm -hmm. so and likewise the prosecutor, that every person, the jury, the jury is a human element. That's Twelve right. people that 
maybe want just truth and justice, maybe want revenge, maybe want to justify themselves, maybe mm-hmm. maybe are racist and think that Kyle's their their savior and they want him, you know, just to go free. Like, what it got me thinking down the road of how do you eliminate the human element from the system? Because to some extent, I feel like CRT is kind of just stating the obvious, which is what? That uh, in a society, or really in any social organization, so I'm going to use a, a, an analogy for this here in a second, but in, in, in any society, people who share interests, characteristics, and culture um, favor one another, and people who are in a minority in that culture are susceptible to some degree of unfairness or injustice because of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, <laughs> sure, right. Now that's a, now. How do you solve that? That's that to me is the big, big question, mm-hmm. right? Which we'll save for episode five. But, <laughs> um, but so let me use an analogy. Let's say I have a, uh, you know, seven kids, right? Well, no, let's just do the thing. I have four kids, right? And one of them is a boy, and three of them are girls. Now, they're going to tend mostly just to, there's going to be some kind of gender division, some kind of gender interest there, right? Right. Um, so we're going to have a movie night, right? And uh, and if I say, hey, do you guys want to watch um, Braveheart, or do you want to watch... Oh, what are some of those the Hunger Games? My yeah. girls like those. They've read those books. Right. Yep. And we just play that every every Friday. They get to vote. Yeah. Right. Like, well, guess what's going to happen? He's going to get outvoted. Sure. More often than not, he's just going to get outvoted, outvoted, outvoted. Now, I think that's a fair analogy for what's going on, and but then the critique is the system is is wrong, like. Is voting good? Is it good to have a democracy? Is democracy a good thing? Well, it depends, right? I wouldn't say it's a necessarily good thing. I think Americans have been trained to think it is. Mm. But, um, um, you know, just give a bunch of murderers voting rights and things go south really quickly. (laughs) But I think, to me, it's a helpful, like angle to think about it is it really the system is it the fact that we let's say have a jury of 12 of 12 of your peers that we have a judge we have a prosecutor we have these processes or is it just a human element in all of these things mm-hmm. and if that's the issue then how do you get rid of the human element right so one of the things i read about is that um uh now again i'm just going to assume I, I can't do all the research but let's just assume for the sake of argument that people of color black people particularly tend to get longer sentences for the same crime sure okay if that's true that doesn't seem right to me yeah agreed right so but why is that happening i don't think it's because there's a law that's written that says black people get longer sentences yeah I don't know why would law. it happen i don't know that law yeah yeah so, but why is it happening? Well, probably there's, it's, to me, it seems it's the human element. There's a degree of discretion allowed in yep. the system. Right. That is now allowing for this discriminatory element to come in. So, I could easily see 
fixing something like that, like, okay, there's no more discretion in these things. Like, mm. same crime, same... Yeah, you know, same punishment. Same punishment. Um, but, again, what we're seeing there is that I'm not sure it's necessarily that that, that system is racist, mm-hmm. but it's that it allows for the human element to come in where people have biases, fears, you know, are they overtly racist? Yeah, you know, maybe some are. Sure, some yeah. are right. Yeah, some like we're saying, are. we don't have any more racists. <laughs> <laughs> um, or yeah, I don't know if that's a helpful angle. Like, I don't know what do you think of that? Like the distinction between like the system itself, because I do think that that's a lot of what we're dealing with here. Like, mm-hmm. when you say, oh, the system is racist. Like, well, in the conservatives say, well, what's the racist law? What's the racist law? It's like, uh, I'm not really sure. But you point out to you can point to all these results, right? And there you go. You look at the results and go. Therefore, the system is racist. Yep. Right. You know? Yeah, and I, I think um, so. So the question is, okay, so you're identifying a problem. Um, the law doesn't appear to be racist, but it's being applied, or at least it seems like maybe it's being applied in a in a racist way. Um, so is the solution to that, um, equal outcomes? So, uh, should we just say everyone, like you said, everyone gets the same. I think the problem with that, I think the problem that CRT has with that is that it's too late for that. So we've talked, we've said that, um, there's some things about CRT we could validate and there's other things that we, we would dismiss. I think even that statement, CRT would not, wouldn't, wouldn't accept that. What was the statement? The idea that there's things about CRT that we would, we would validate or approve of and other things that we would say, no, we, we reject that. I think CRT would say that's not an option. Like it's, this is the thing. The reason you it wouldn't, you would invalidate some of these points is because of your position of power, because your inherent racism, um, because of the structures that you're trying to maintain. So there, there isn't, I don't think we're going to get to a middle ground and all be able to hold hands on this. No, I think that's one of the issues with the, with, um, with, with CRT and the way it's, it's being presented. But when you think about so what so when I, I say it's it's too late for well just okay well, we're gonna have equal outcomes now I think it's in one sense they would say it's even too late for that because we actually need to go the other way and you start to hear this language is it's actually pretty surprising but um, the idea that actually we need to disadvantage white people and advantage black people in order to rectify what really is you know, been the, the case for the last you know 400 years or however long so that idea that um you know well there was some talk in the early covid days about um giving vaccines to um to not giving vaccines to, to older white people in order to give them to black people even younger black people strictly that policy strictly on the basis of reversing um, the, the racism that we've experienced in, in our policies in different ways, whether they're health-related policies or whatever structural policies we've that they would be trying to right uh, those wrongs. That's, that's one example. Um, 
I'm sure there's lots of other ones in terms of, say, lowering standards for black kids getting into schools or... Um, and there's a, a number of things that you would say, okay, it's too late for just equal outcomes. We need to go beyond that. And again, all the things that, um, you know, white people like to quote Martin Luther King on um, content of character quotes, but, you know, even that just doesn't go far enough. We're past that now. So I, that's where I feel like we get into, we're get, it's a difficult conversation to say, oh, let's just find some common ground because I don't think that's where we're at with this. No, I don't think. No, I agree. Um, no I don't think I'm going to have common ground with a a true CRT proponent yeah because they really are they really are radicals they reject ultimately they might settle for it but but philosophically they would reject any kind of incrementalism even that we can get to right you know we can't improve a fundamentally flawed system yes it needs to be born again now which is why these things end up in revolution. You know, like yep. at some point there's enough momentum, there's enough um, despair that some revolution is launched. Yep. Um, but yeah, the idea that basically you're summing up the idea that the solution to injustice yesterday is injustice today. Like that's how you right. reverse the skills. Sure. Listen to this quote. Um, and I did, I, we won't get to all this today, but I, I do have, for future episodes, articles that I put up that were talking about things just like you said, how to do anti-racist testing, how to make mm-hmm. your workplace more anti-racist. And it's it's just basically calling you to just favor minorities all the time. Sure. You know? Um, I knew, uh, I don't know this guy personally. He's a pastor. It doesn't matter who he is. But he's a, he's a nationally renowned pastor, speaker. He was at a conference, and he said uh, you know, he's part of a network that they're trying to make more racially diverse. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, so at his church, they're hiring. And so they, they reached out to like a hiring firm. And uh, they said, hey, one of our values is we want to be racially diverse. So the hiring firm is very explicit with them. Mm-hmm. It's okay. So let's say we can rank, you know, people from zero to ten. You know, you, you want a ten ultimately, right? But, mm-hmm. hey, I, I found a a ten, but he's a white dude. Right. And I found an eight, and he's black. Yep. Which do you want? And this guy said in that scenario, right, he's like, we're going to take the eight. Yeah. And that's our commitment to this. And that certainly got me thinking about a lot of stuff. <laughs> but one of the things I thought of was, would you do that in picking a surgeon? No. Your wife's going into brain surgery. to got to get the tumor removed. Mm-hmm. You're going to pick the black guy just because he's black? Right. That's absurd. <laughs> That's absurd. Right. I just reject that. Yeah. So... When would you do it? Does that? I think that's a really interesting thought experiment. They're like, mm-hmm. well, why would you do it here? Mm-hmm. But well, I guess that's not as important. You know, shepherding the church or whatever. Like, <laughs> I get the challenge of it. So we're up against a real challenge, and we talked about this last week. And you know, well, the real challenge is there actually is discrimination in the world. The real challenge right. is there actually is injustice. There is yep. oppression. There is. Is the answer then reverse oppression? Right. Right? Is that 
what, Bi what the Bible teaches. Now, someone may say that. I guess a, a revolutionary Marxist could say, yeah, that's the answer. But we're putting, looking at it through Christian grid and wanting to affirm that there's some freaking problems. I think right. that's where the co conservatives sometimes don't admit that there's enough of a sure. problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's why I appreciate... I think there are pastors and Christian leaders who are, are trying to not jump on the CRT bandwagon, but don't want to let the moment go by to talk about racial inequality and so the it's almost the do you not want to talk about racial inequality at all in order to not be lumped in with the crt camp like that doesn't seem pr productive either so i think there are guys out there who are trying to from a biblical perspective and i mentioned john perkins earlier he's been doing that for decades um in a really measured gospel-centered way like when you read his stuff as a half white guy i don't feel guilty about my half whiteness i don't think he's writing from that perspective are you oppressing I, yourself uh, yeah almost every day <laughs> <laughs> so um so there's vo voices out there we should be tapping into that um speak to these issues get to the heart um uh, the, the heart of i think what the scriptures say about loving each other about seeing there is a guilt there is a guilt to be identified and it's it's not based on our race it's it's based on our our rejection of christ as savior it's our um self-exaltation it's all of the things that put us in the place of of god and so when guys like perkins and others uh write about those things it's just really appealing like that that should you don't have to be on the crt bandwagon to to be drawn into that so it's out there yeah don't give in to the polarization yeah right um it's hard because you know it takes some discernment the the language gets tricky you know um are you anti-racist you know i saw a thread one time when uh basically you know it was people arguing about this stuff and this guy justifies himself he's like hey i'm not racist and i've got black friends and this and that and and this person says, yeah, 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 but are you anti-racist? Right. It's like, well, it sounds like something I want to be. That's, yeah. <laughs> it sounds pretty good. <laughs> I want to be that. Like, yeah. There's a lot of, so let me just define that. What does it mean to be anti-racist? It means to be actively pursuing change to dismantle the system because the system is racist. You can't just be like, well, I didn't hurt any black people today. It's like, right. no, no, it's, your existence in the system is hurtful. It's yeah. violence. It's what that guy was saying in that. Yeah. My white violence. Yeah. So to be an anti-racist, you know, means to actually dismantle the system now. But you may not know that. You know, and you just go, well, well yeah, yeah, I want to be anti-racist. I'm mm -hmm. anti-racist. I mean, you don't even know what you're saying. Right. Yes, that's part of the the challenge and it's the confusion. So anyway, that was part of the value in doing this. Is I just I want to help our church. Some people are really versed in this. Some are less. The, I I have got articles upon articles. I mean, mm -hmm. that I want to bring up, uh, but we're gonna run out of time here. I try to keep these around an hour. Maybe we got another couple minutes here. Um, I have a quote that I want to share. Is there anything particular today you want to get to before we? No, go ahead. Yeah, jump into that. Uh, so Kurt Vonnegut is an author. Um, I've only read one of his books. Um, it's really kind of wild. Um, but he wrote a book called Harrison Bergeron. And this is, I think, written back in the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. So these ideas that we're 
these aren't new ideas. In a sense, they kind of are like the it's taken on the race angle a lot now. But these ideas in terms of how do we fix the injustices in society mm. and bring equity, another term we got to come back to, um, are really just rooted in socialism, communism, and these conversations have been going around for over 100 years, right? Yeah. So this stuff isn't new to him. Um, but listen to this. So the year was 2081. So he's looking into the future. And everybody was finally equal. They weren't only equal before God and the law. They were equal every which way. Nobody was smarter than anybody else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. All this equality was due to the 211th, 212th, and 213th amendments to the Constitution and to the unceasing vigilance of the agents of the United States Handicapper General. So that gets at that idea of like seeking equity because you really have to get, Mm -hmm. I mean, why just along racial lines? Right. You know, well, okay, gender is probably another one we're going to throw in there. Yeah. I mean, I guess sexual orientation. For sure. Ableism. Yeah. So it gets into that where like no one should be faster than anyone else. Like no one should be more good looking. Right. What about good looking privilege? Yeah. You know, it was a, I think we talked about this once. Was at a Target and I noticed, you know, the, the women's section, they have the the models up there on the mm-hmm. boards. And I've noticed they've just started being more inclusive. You know, they'll have some. Because they don't, you know, there's this whole move against, like, we shouldn't just have stick figure models, you know, Mm. perfect women, you know, perfect in air quotes, you know, whatever. And so they're starting to broaden. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they are. They're they're being more inclusive in that way, right? But, which is fine. But the thing I noticed is these women still all had their teeth. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They all had teeth. It's so great. Their eyes weren't crossed. You know what I mean? Exactly. They had hair. Yeah. They weren't like patchy. Yep. They didn't have like psoriasis. <laughs> ringworm. Yeah. You know? Beards. Beards. <laughs> but it just get to that idea that like to some extent, well, no, to a great extent, there's just a lot of lines along which uh, there's inequality. So uh, think of, you know, just intelligence. Not everybody's equally intelligent. So like, right. do, do we just equalize among race and that's the end? Right. Like Why? Yeah, and the reality is that there, that's just the the what do you call it? It's the the loud voice right now. But there's nothing to stop that next move, like mm-hmm. you said. Well, like ableism, right? Like, what does that define ableism? Yeah, just the the idea that you're privileged because you have all your extremities, or you you don't have a learning disability, or you know, you don't have a hearing disability or, you know, whatever it might be, a number of, of things just related to your physical and mental ability to to go about your life. That's a privilege that, you know, you better appreciate. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, say, I say that out a little cynically, but it's not that there's nothing to that. At the end of the day, there ought to be a, an appreciation for the things that God's given us. And so um, I think the whole privilege movement uh, takes that to a place that um, isn't healthy. But from a, from a Christian standpoint, we ought to 
there ought to be a level of gratitude for what God has given us and blessed us with, and the ableist and the unenablist, I guess, um, both have a reason to be grateful for God who's lavish and abundant and provides for us. So, Yeah. So let me leave us with this, with God's heart for the marginalized. So, you know, in terms of solutions and, you know, how do we move forward, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Um and ultimately, part of that is knowing that God has the ultimate solution, right? Mm. And that's coming. But that doesn't mean we don't seek to improve it while we're here. Yeah. But and and I want to be able to <clears throat> critique some elements of critical race theory and maybe even it at its root. But also, uh, we want to be careful not to forget God's heart for the marginalized. This is mm-hmm. He all over the Old Testament prophets or even James says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one oneself unstained from the world. Now, here's the idea. What's the affliction of an orphan and a widow? Why do they, why do they have affliction? Well, it's the, the fact that they are, well, the, there's not a father mm-hmm. yeah. or a husband, right? right? That's yeah. in a patriarchal society where that, that's the person of privilege and yeah. power. Right. So James is affirming that there are people who have power, and that power can be a blessing to others, but people who are removed from that access to power can end up afflicted, Yeah, and they need special care. Right. And I think that extends beyond orphan and widows. One, another thing that God calls out in the Bible is sojourners. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's a racial minority. Is what that is. You mm-hmm. had back in that day, right? You had the Jews. You have all diff- different people groups living together. Mm-hmm. Someone that came from another land was a was a different race, sure, or different people tongue at least. You know, yeah, like right. people group. And God is affirming that that person in your midst, you need to show them special care. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Because He knows that there's a vulnerability built into that. Yeah, that the majority group is going to tend to at worst oppress kill and slave right but maybe just overlook yeah not be concerned yeah not look in that direction because you're concerned you're just living your life like so i just want to affirm that that these things are these are biblical concepts right right that there are power structures and that the marginalized um need to be cared for mm-hmm. and attended to now does that mean marxism <laughs> right that, that's the well therefore marxism like well hold on um yeah but it's a good thing to to know and be aware of and not be naive right think, oh, no, you know everything's fine because we have good laws it's like yeah yep now i resonate a ton with that and i i feel like you just you can't pick up your bible and not get that flavor of god's love for the weak and the marginalized and the hurting and the harassed the helpless like it's just over and over i mean if you don't see yourself that way regardless of your privilege status you should see yourself that way that is who we are god is the king and we are the subjects and we are weak and harassed and helpless by an enemy who wants to destroy our souls um and so we ought to have a level of compassion that's really great for those around us in a in a shadowed uh, place like that so, um, whether that's race or, um, you know, what, whatever the, whatever the intersection is. Yes. Good. All right. Well, I could keep going. Like I said, I have a, we have more material to get through here, uh, but there's a little, little dipping our toes in the water there, I guess. So feel free to send, uh, 
you know, send me or Vern text, email, questions, thoughts, resources, things like that, things you would like us to talk about. And uh, we hope this is helpful for you. So thanks for tuning in. Till next week. See ya.